welcome to SED. I'm your host, Jane Dagme, Editor-in-Chief of Designers Today. SED covers the wonderful industry of interior design from various, often eclectic, angles. At its most literal, SED is the spoken complement to what's written in the pages of our magazine. Esoterically speaking, SED, S-A-I-D, stands for Something About Interior Designers. In a nutshell, the podcast is devoted to the ongoing curiosity and admiration we have for these diverse, passionate, and often quirky individuals. SED celebrates the way they think, work, live, and define themselves. Enough said. Let's get into our show. Designers, Howls is excited to announce a brand new initiative focused on serving your specific needs as design pros. Howls Pro is a new pro-exclusive destination where you can access new tools, education, and analytics to take your business to the next level. You're invited to explore Howls Pro, which includes the brand new CRM tool to manage client inquiries, marketing to build your company brand, plus Ivy, the incredibly popular designer software for managing your business. Learn more at pro.house.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, my guests are Neil McKenzie, Marketing Director of Universal Furniture, and the Antiques Diva, Tama Clark Haynes. For many of us in the design and home furnishings world, we've always enjoyed following the escapades of Tama Clark Haynes. Most recently, however, we've been pulled into her account of life in Venice and the new normal, which basically translates into lockdown. Here's Tama. Hello. Tama, good afternoon, I guess, for you in Venice. <laughs> it's good to talk to you, Jane. <laughs> oh, well, um, I know, um, I don't think we've interrupted your gallivanting around town today, but um, tell me, what is what did you do today in Venice? <laughs> well, as Venice is on quarantine, I have been pretty much in lockdown. Um, I'm at home. I live in the district of San Marco. So I'm actually just kind of across from the Peggy Guggenheim Museum. And so truthfully, I have been at home in my house working and I haven't actually left my house for three days. So I will say the advantage of this is that I I actually have been living a bit in yoga clothes. So I'm kind of enjoying that aspect of it. You have to look at the positive side. Yes, I think you're very good at that, actually. <laughs> I think you're very you good, know, in it's fact. it's all about the reframe. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that, as you know, and we all do, um, everybody on social media that is your friend is is rooting for you, is kind of trying to support you and send you, you love and best wishes. I'm sure there are other people, like those in Washington, or who are also sort of, you know, feeling the duress of this whole um, coronavirus. But, uh, you know, your, your comment the other day about, I've got to get my hair done, basically. Like, if I'm going to go through this, (laughs) what did you, you know, that was very funny. Okay, no, it was really funny because, you know, when you think about a quarantine, I, I, of course, I had a feeling this could be coming. So I was on an around the world trip. I think I last saw you in January in both Dallas and Las Vegas Mm -hmm. for Dallas market, Las Vegas market, or maybe Cabus. 
And after that, I had gone to Cambodia for a writer's retreat. So I was gone about a month and a half, literally having circled the globe. And so over that period of time, I was kind of feeling the pulse, um, the pulse of the situation from various countries. I landed from San Francisco and Singapore and had my first screening for the virus and then was screened again in Phnom Penh and again in Bangkok. But I don't think it really hit home to me what was happening with the virus mm-hmm. until I landed in Venice. And literally, as I came off the plane from Bangkok in Venice, there were men in those HVAC suits, the white HVAC suits, testing people. Right. And I mean, that was a pretty scary thing, honestly, coming off the plane that way. But so, of course, with landing to that, the day after I landed, they had canceled, um, they'd cancer, canceled Carnival. So I kind of had in my head that a quarantine might be coming. However, it, when I was thinking, what do I need to stock up on? What should I be prepared? I got cat litter. I got cat food. Like Fortuny and Fiorella are well fed. I bought groceries, some like basic staples. But it never once occurred to me that I was going to have a serious hair situation. (laughs) So I ended up having to cancel two appointments due to, to the coronavirus. And yes, I posted on social media the other day that I'm a 46 year old woman with gray hair and I didn't want anyone to actually know that, that it was as gray as it was. And it's desperate times. I'm telling you, I'm just saying listeners need to stock up on hair dye. If, if, they fear there's a risk of a quarantine. Well, that is, I mean, that is going to be the big takeaway from today. And I know that. Um, but I'm sure, Tom, I'm sure that, you know, in your closet of fabulous things, you might have like a cool scarf or something that you could don to, you know, I don't know, mask the gray. But so I have a question. <laughs> so you've been tested, you've been tested, you've been um, at different ports of call. And do you, do you get scared of getting the virus? Like, is that a fear or are the fears way beyond that? You know, as I was traveling, to be honest with you, I don't think I fully even understood quite, quite how serious the epidemic was becoming. I think when you're on a business trip for a month and a half and you know what those straight fear days are like, you know, mm-hmm. I wasn't reading enough news. And of course, as I landed in Asia, I knew what was happening, but I really wasn't even that scared. And what was really interesting was several times I was not given as extensive of a look as someone else coming off the plane. I think I landed from America. And so it, twice I was waved through without them testing me like, oh, no, you're from America. We don't have to worry about you. Um, so I think I didn't fully grasp how serious it was until I got to my hotel in Siem Reap. And there were several people in Siem Reap who couldn't go home to China. And so they were staying at my hotel waiting like until they could, <laughs> could return home. And that was, I think, my first indication of, okay, this is starting to get serious. Right, right. Well, um, I was listening to your podcast, The Business of Antiques, last night. Um, I went to episode nine, which was called Manifesting Your Dreams. And what I what I love about podcasts is that you get so much, you learn so much about the person who's on. And this was one where you... It was, um, I think, a broadcast of your keynote at the Dallas Market. 
And so I, I went through it and I wrote a couple things down that I want to sort of bounce off of you because I think they're very relevant for what you're going through right now. Um, you, in that podcast, you talked about being a, a kid with croup. You had a croup kit and, and that is a, you know, that's a respiratory um, condition, correct? Absolutely. Right. So, no, in, yeah. in fact, my vocal cords work backwards. Um, so whenever I inhale, typically when you inhale, your vocal cords open. And when I inhale, my vocal cords close. So people over the years comment, oh, you're really raspy. Like sometimes when I'm on stage or even sometimes in my podcast, my voice is weaker. And it's because I have a I I have a laryngeal dystonia. It's a misfunction in the vocal cords. Oh, well, I think you sound just fine. Does croup creep up again or is it done? Like you're done? Um, it depends. I will say I am very good at listening to my body. And I think there's a gift. And I think if you listen to that manifesting episode, you know that I do consider the fact that I was very, very ill as a child and as a teenager. I consider it a gift. Mm-hmm. Um one of the gifts that came out of that was that I'm super aware of my body. And so soon as I start noticing that I'm having respiratory problems, like I have an entire routine, like I, I, I know I'm at this very moment, I have ginger tea boiling. Mm-hmm. It's like, there are things that I do that I immediately snap into motion. If I think there's possibility of a trouble. Home remedies are the best, you know? They really are. Simple home remedies. So, okay, one of the things that you said in episode nine was that, um, and I might, you know, not be quoting you verbatim, but the essence, that you could see the future and it's okay that I don't know how I'm getting there, but I know the future is going to be fine. So in light of what you're dealing with right now, is that, you know, do you see the the forest or the, what is the... um, I never get my expressions correct. The forest through the trees, the trees. <laughs> exactly. I mean, what, what are you thinking right now? It's a really interesting time for me. And this specific comment about uh, seeing the future, what I didn't mean that I'm like a fortune teller. No. That wasn't at all what I meant. But that one of the things I've usually been able to do in life is to stand in the middle of the forest in a dark place when there's trees all around me and to just rise up above it and see all the green rooftops of the trees and see the destination on the other side. And what I usually know in life is, okay, this is where I want to go. This is where I am. And as long as I can see where I want to go, I know that I'm okay. I will say this is a really uncertain time. Um, And part of the reason for that is, is it's such a changing landscape. So here in Venice, I said, I arrived home. I landed back from Bangkok and immediately Carnival was canceled. But, you know, the news is saying everything's going to be fine in another week. So I had it on my horizon. Okay, life is back to normal in a week. Right. Well, then a week later, they changed the rules. And a week later, they changed the rules. And then last week, um, last week, they set in, literally Saturday night, they set in the full quarantine, which I have a funny story for you on that. You'll appreciate. But um, of where I was when this, when I actually got the news and it happened. But going back to the answer about the future, I keep seeing the destination changing. And I was talking to Melissa Mittag earlier today. She had called. She was concerned. And she pretty much asked me the same question. And I said, 
I'm not someone who has a high fear factor. Like I, I'm not, I'm not risk averse. Mm -hmm. And so in general, I'm usually able to stay pretty calm in difficult situations. And I found myself feeling something yesterday that I really haven't felt in my life. And it was this utter degree of uncertainty. Right now, the quarantine is set that April 3rd, it ends. And I mean, Venice is on lockdown. Like, you're not supposed to go out of the house unless you have to. Uh, there is a three-month jail sentence if you're caught, like, in your private boat trying to leave the island. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a there's sheets of paper that you have to print out and bring with you when you leave the house to make sure you have your, like, in my case, my passport number and where I'm going with me um, so that you can check in if police check you. And so, I mean, it's a, it's a tense situation and normally I'm able to not let it emotionally impact me. And I realized yesterday I was feeling fearful. And I think when you're in a place of fear, you can't see things clearly. And so I I knew I had to release that fear Mm -hmm. in order, in order to have kind of a confidence for the future. But what I've been doing really the last couple of weeks is I've been doing a lot of soul searching um, on a personal level, but definitely a professional level. We, in three weeks time, my company, the Antique Steven Co., in three, week time, three weeks time, we literally lost our entire year's worth of business. And so I went from having our tours planned for maybe the next five, six months to saying, okay, I don't have income. I don't have operating costs. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do? And what I can say is, can I see the future and know that it's going to be fine? Yeah. And the reason is I'm in the dark, I'm in the forest, I'm in the trees, but I'm reshifting. I don't exactly know where I'm going, Mm -hmm. but I'm gathering resources. I've told everyone I know, listen, I need help. I'm in a dark place and I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the most important thing. You tell people when you have a problem, you tell people when you need help. And as a result of that, you and I are talking today, but also people are reaching out to me. They are brainstorming. They're saying, hey, have you ever considered this for your business? And I'm being given all these, this information, these different resources, these different ideas for immediate short-term income just simply because I need to pay my bills and long-term ideas that will help prepare me for the future as it changes. So at the moment, I don't exactly know where I'm going and that's terrifying. On the other hand, I also feel incredibly encouraged mm-hmm. because, okay, so in the plague, when the plague ended around 1348, when the plague ended here in Italy, it's where the Renaissance came from. What grew out of the Renaissance was the plague. And that's what gives me hope. And that's what makes me think, yeah, we have a changing, we have a moving target and a deadline. I don't know that this quarantine is going to be over April 3rd. And I'm a little concerned that they're going to tell me or that they're going to announce that it's continued until May. So that has me worried. But I believe at the end, there is the silver lining or the sunset. Right, right. I love I love hearing all this. And wow, that's an amazing, I mean, with the whole history repeats itself, um, playing into, re- into Renaissance is, is a nice visual um, for me. So tell me, just with the whole quarantine, like, 
is there enough food brought into Venice? I mean, is, is you know, are there supplies? And do you get to go to the supermarket? Are people delivering things to homes? What happens? So what's funny is Venice does not have a takeout service at all. Like literally up until a couple of weeks ago, there was one sushi place that did takeout in all of downtown. And otherwise, like some places, maybe you can get pizza delivered. But honestly, I've never done it since I've lived here. It's just not in the Italian culture to do that. What's funny, Quadri, which I think is a, it's at least one Michelin star, maybe two star. Quadri is doing deliveries. Um, Rosa Rosa's doing deliveries. So a lot of the restaurants, in order to be able to survive, they are taking orders. What makes me laugh, uh, Quadri, I think you have to order in the afternoon so that you can get dinner in the evening. So, I mean, it's a very Italian approach to take out. So far, the grocery stores have been fine. The first day they announced that, okay, we are doing a quarantine, but truthfully, nobody in town was taking it that seriously. Um, I went to the grocery store again, and I stocked up. And then Saturday night, I'll tell you my funny situation. Saturday night, I, I... found out that, okay, now it's gone into serious lockdown. And Sunday morning, I did wake up in the morning and go straight to the grocery store at 9 a.m. Each time I went, the grocery store was fully stocked. What was your funny story from, it was Saturday? Did something happen on Saturday? Yes. Oh, my goodness. So this is so funny. So I literally, I was on a first date. And I had I had had this conversation that like, okay, should we go ahead and do this first date or not? They've been set for several weeks. And so we said, okay, you know what? You know what? Life is life. You have to just keep living your life. Let's go to dinner. So we're sitting at dinner. And, you know, if you're on a date, you, of course, don't want to look at your phone because that's not polite. Right. And I notice my phone is blowing up. And so I very discreetly, like, flip open the cover just to see, like, who have I gotten all these messages from? And I think I had 60-some WhatsApp messages. And I thought, um, and I said, I'm really sorry. I apologize, but I have to look at my phone. Right. Well, when I opened my phone, it says that the quarantine has a full lockdown quarantine was going in effect and that they were shutting the city entirely. And this message is I'm reading at 1030 at night as we're sitting here in the sitting there in the restaurant. And I look at my phone it's 1030 and they say it's got into effect at 10. And so literally the first date is sitting across from me. And I know he needs to get on a train and go 45 minutes home. Wow. Yeah. And I'm seeing that they're saying the city is locked down for one month. And so I had this moment of utter and complete panic. I thought, oh my goodness, I'm going to have like a month long first date because how can I get rid of this guy? Oh gosh, that is too funny. (laughs) Tama, do you have enough champagne in your refrigerator to make it through till April 3rd at least? You know what I do actually? I, I always have a stash of both champagne and Prosecco. And so I'm very fortunate. I think, actually I can tell you, I think I have seven bottles of champagne and probably 20 of Prosecco. Okay, (laughs) you're good. I've got the bases covered. You're and it's good. just me. I'm all by myself. Yes. So um, this is so interesting. You know, in, in the podcast, you just talked about kind of your, your superpowers and, and your manifesting. And whatever I, whenever I am preparing for a podcast, I do look at people's social media because it, it, there are some really good indicators of what you've been up to, how you're feeling. And in early January, before, I think, before this whole, like, Um, two months of travel started for you. 
you, it seemed to me that you were kind of saying, gosh, a slowdown, like, it'd be really nice to reflect on things. Um, and you're getting, I mean, just like you said, you're having this sort of soul searching reflection time on your business, different things. And so you kind of asked for it. You know, you asked for this time to be, not you didn't ask for this exactly, but but just like you said, you never know what it's going to appear. You don't know what the, the package is going to look like. But you did, it, it seems like, I feel like you're kind of getting something that's needed, maybe the time that is. It's interesting because I, uh, I have had an idea in my head that I haven't really it's been something that's been playing at the back of my brain. It's like been teasing the back of my brain. And I've been thinking about this for, for months, but you don't, it's, I, I think we've talked about this before that there's this Picasso quote that says there's no, there's no creativity or no greatness without solitude. And so this idea has been teasing at my brain, but in order to really think about a new idea or a new way of doing things, in my case, a new way of doing my business in general, um, like a completely radical shift in my business, what I've needed is just time alone to sit in the silence of my mind so that I can actually hear those thoughts. And it's what I've needed, and most definitely it's what I'm getting. Yes. I want to ask you how Cambodia was and um, how your book is going. I'm not sure if you can even tell us what it's about, but I do know that you were working on a book a long time ago um, that was halted because of the recession. And and so I was wondering what this new one is about. So originally, the first book you were talking about is actually how my business was born. And I... 12 years ago, I was it, actually back in 2008, I was w- working on a book for basically where to go antiquing in Europe. And the book had gotten picked up by a publisher and the project was killed as a result of the recession. Um, it's funny because now, flash forward 12 years, I'm working on a book. I've been working on it for about a year and it is not about antiquing. In fact, it's a memoir. It's a travel log about my life, but specifically about how I think. One thing that I've learned is that I tend to think differently than most other people. I tend to approach situations from like just the flip side. And so that's what the book has been I think revealing to revealing in some ways to myself as I'm getting to know myself. Um, and I'm, so I'm telling a lot of stories throughout my entire life. So in speaking in Dallas, I told about being very sick as a child and as a teenager, and that's not something I had ever spoken publicly about before. Mm-hmm. And in the book, there are a lot of those type of things that I'm really going into. And I'm really going into some core beliefs that I think have shaped how I live my life and what are the applicable things other people can learn from that. It's funny because I I will say the last five years of my life, I have learned that I can't be perfect. And I think I spent the majority of my life trying to build this perfect life and five years ago, literally, I came home from a business trip and I found out my husband had been having an affair at, in my apartment. And it, like, it shook my entire world to the core. Like literally, 
everything suddenly came crashing down around me. And I think the thing that has come out of it, which is a, a really amazing place to be, is I had spent so much time building this perfect life that I wasn't actually living the life that I was in. And I've kind of stripped off that veneer of perfectionism. Definitely with all these gray hairs showing at the moment, it's stripped off. <laughs> but no, I, I really, it's, I think the place where I am is I'm, honestly, I'm just super happy with myself. I'm happy with my life. I'm happy with, with where I'm going, with the decisions I'm making. And it allows me to be more vulnerable because I've learned when I am when, when I'm just me, you know, no holds barred when I'm just me, everything goes better. Like I'm just simply, I'm happy mm-hmm. <laughs> in general. The diva from Oklahoma, you know, and <laughs> still known diva. <laughs> um, well, you, you know that we, we in the community love you and care about you and, um, and just, you know, we appreciate you sharing what's going on with your life. And I appreciate you coming on to this podcast today and just kind of telling us what, what it's like for you right now and um, where you're going and what you're thinking about. <laughs> well, I really appreciate it. And I, I just appreciate you spreading the word to about just my company in general and yes. helping us stay relevant in people's minds. Um, one of the things we are doing to to try to combat the situation right now, clients who have canceled their trips to Europe and Asia, we're doing virtual tours when we can. Basically, we're taking we're taking the clients in literally on a video call so that they can physically see all the objects in the store, so they can interact with the vendor, so they can be having the conversations as if they were there. So we're virtual tours are what we're shifting to at this moment mm-hmm. because I think it's necessary. And the other thing I would say is where I think my business will go over this next year. We I have been doing antique dealer training and mentoring programs for the last year. And honestly, I think not only is it a smart strategy for my company to do this at this time, it's also, I think right now, we are in very uncertain times, and I think everyone is really having to look at their business and re-strategize and figure out how to make this new economy that we're in, how to make it work for them. And so I definitely think we'll be doing a lot more a lot more of the training and mentoring programs. Right, right. No, that's great. I mean, you know, you've got the experience and the smarts to do that. And thank goodness for technology. I mean, it helps keep us informed. And here you're shifting your your tours to virtual. So, you know, that's, you know, thank goodness for the tools, right? And that we can talk from from WhatsApp and do this today. So, I know. It's so good to hear your voice, by the way. I like seeing you in real life, too, though, because it was really fun running into you so much in the month of January. I know. Seeing you at Cabez was the best. Well, I'm going to we're going to I'm going to call you um, another time. We'll set up a little meeting um, aside from this podcast and just sort of catch up uh, behind the scenes. But um, again, love you and um, and be well and keep us in the loop. Okay. perfect. I look forward to it. All right. Thanks again for everything. Bye, Tama. Okay, bye. Ciao, ciao, ciao. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Tama. Um, It's a fluid situation that's changing all the time. Before we get into my um, conversation with Neil McKenzie, 
Let's get a word from our sponsor. Designers, Hals is excited to announce a brand new initiative focused on serving your specific needs as design pros. Hals Pro is a new pro-exclusive destination where you can access new tools, education, and analytics to take your business to the next level. You're invited to explore Hals Pro, which includes the brand new CRM tool to manage client inquiries, marketing to build your company brand, plus Ivy, the incredibly popular designer software for managing your business. Learn more at pro.house.com. The podcast with Neil McKenzie took place in Amelia Island, where Universal was photographing Getaway, their second collaboration with Coastal Living Magazine. We sat down and talked about developing the collection, licensing in general, working with designers, and Universal's new expanded upholstery program. One suggestion, and I digress for a moment, but if any of you are traveling to Amelia Island, and if you have a hankering for Asian fusion, do not miss the restaurant Wicked Bao. Totally worth it. Okay, back to Neil. We met for the first time in 2015 when Universal had just launched their To the Trade collection and program. Neil had just arrived at Universal, and Universal had just moved into their flagship showroom on Hamilton. Neil was instrumental in reshaping the brand. He says, having a chance to change the perceptions of what we do and to help reshape the experience one has with our brand at market has been challenging and rewarding. Neil is smart and easygoing with a dry sense of humor. I'm sure if you know him, you've also noticed his stylish flair and penchant for cool patterned pants, which he procures from Bonobus. Once he is smitten with a good fit, he stays loyal to the brand. Neil's also passionate about golf and quite skilled at it. As far as we're concerned, Neil has really taken Universal's commitment to the designer to heart. One professional designer relationship that I have watched bloom is the one between Neil and Laura Thurman. While I may have introduced them to each other, they took it to the next level and have collaborated on a few things. In fact, she was a recent guest on his podcast called Explore Home. I asked Laura if she'd say a few words about Neil, and here's what she said. Neil McKenzie, I'm honored that our paths have crossed. It was actually you, Jane, who introduced us at High Point Market about three to four years ago. I know Neil to be authentic, hardworking, and a wonderful husband and dad. He's strategic, yet open-minded. Universal is lucky to have him as their director of marketing. Thank you, Neil, for our collaborations and your helping hand as a friend to boost my firm's presence. All right, let's get into our conversation. Neil, thank you so much for inviting me down to this photo shoot. It's been a long time since I've been on a shoot, and it's really cool to see behind the scenes. Well, cool. It's great. I'm glad you were able to make it and come down and take the time to see kind of what we do outside of uh, being in High Point. Yeah, totally. So this is... Um, Coastal Living Collection, and it's the second um, iteration. It is, yes. We're, so the first collection was called Escape. Mm -hmm. uh, this collection is called Getaway. So uh, trying to tie into that whole mindset of, um, you know, being, you know, bringing that vacation kind of mindset to your house or to your home, no matter where you live. How did the original collaboration start? Who came to who with the idea? So um, it was uh, maybe three years ago or so. 
three or yeah three or four years ago, uh, we um, we were at market and uh, they were um, in the process of beginning to uh, look for an alternative partner uh, for the Coastal Living brand. Um, they had been in the marketplace for some time uh, with another manufacturer. Uh, that relationship was ending, um, and uh, we had uh, myself had a few kind of mutual connections uh, with with those folks uh, from a previous life, and um, had a chance to sit down and talk a little bit about what they were trying to do. And on our end, um, you know, licensing is such a it's an interesting kind of avenue to take. So you want to be really you're sensitive to your own brand and making sure you're not gonna you know. Um, be talking about somebody else's brand and you know how does that reflect on my brand? So ultimately, you're trying to look for you know brands and partnerships. I think that you know a represent a lifestyle, and b ideally have an audience that is um, you know raving fans of whatever that either person or brand is, and and then you know does it fit with kind of our our mindset and our brand? And um, we had the chance to sit down and talk to the Coastal Living team and, and learn about what they were trying to do with the magazine at the time and some of the changes that were happening uh, there with their being, um, Time Inc. being acquired by Meredith and what would that all look like. And at the time, we only had the Pauline Home Collection was the only license that we had. And, um, you know, different licensing collections have different kind of iterations in terms of their life cycle really well just but you had also done i mean the first time i got wind of universal a long time ago alexander julian so that yes. was like so the original right yeah be, and that's a little be the first one certainly before my time yes and i think we looked at the partnership we did with alexander julian again as more of a um, more of like a capsule kind of collection or a um you know, a collaboration um, as opposed to a licensing collection. And just for those people who are listening that might not know about Alex, because yeah. he was kind of ahead of the time, because he was a fashion, he is a fashion designer, yep. and that's his first thing, and bringing, you know, that whole um, yeah, fashion he, into home. He was one of, um, really a, a very interesting person, uh, and, and really, you know, quite charming, and, and has just a ton of... Um, you know, authenticity as it relates to that combination of fashion and home. And, you know, he's really one of the, you know, top four designers in the world at one time, uh, certainly skewed maybe towards the men's side, but did, mm -hmm. did fashion for both. And, um, you know, had a really good eye for, for detail and certain things, just how they would kind of fit, you know, what, what would that whole aesthetic kind of look like? So, so yes, we had done Alex, we had, uh, you know, Paula Dean and, and typically, you know, licensing collections, you know, typically last maybe, you know, five to 10 years and Paula Dean, it's in, I want to say it's like in its 15th year. Mm -hmm. so I want to say that. I mean, they've done a number of collections uh, with her and, and each one was very different, but authentic to, you know, the lifestyle, um, the region, you know, her and in, in terms of her uh, kind of aesthetic values. And those all worked. And I think when you have a partner um, and you're working in a licensing collaboration that that partnership is, you know, it's authentic, you get along, you can kind of tell in terms of how I think the product ends up, but it does represent the lifestyle and it is really, you know, kind of tapping into whatever that lifestyle is and kind of bringing it into the home. And that's kind of what you're trying to, trying to get. So that's, that's, I think what we were able to achieve, um, you know, with uh, the team at Coastal Living and that, and that really happened through, you know, a lot of back and forth and a lot of meetings with their edit team and their brand team as to, you know, what what their readership was looking for, um, what their fans are looking for, um, and, you know, what are the things that kind of make 
the coastal home a coastal home, at the same time, not wanting to be so specific to, oh, if you don't live near the water, this can't be for you. Right. So it, it is that combination of things where, you know, obviously we would love for everybody to do an entire home of coastal living, but that's probably not the reality in most cases. So how do you take, um, you know, really um, the opportunity of taking, you know, a room or, you know, a couple rooms or mixing these products with things uh, in the real world, you know, and how does that all kind of work? And I think we've been able to kind of do that, certainly with the, with the first collection escape. And I think with getaway, it's almost uh, really an evolution of that. Well, I've only seen a few pieces so far. So, um, but there are these incredible pieces that stand so well on their own, super sculptural, textural, and mm -hmm. I'm excited to see the rest. But yeah. what I was going to what I was going to say, which reminded me, when I was at Country Living Magazine, yeah, we were putting out a magazine, Country Living. We used to say it's a state of mind. It's not where you actually live. And so when I first got to Country Living, it really helped me because I was a little bit like, well, how can city folk understand this? Um, but coastal living brings such a vision to mind. Yeah, I would say, I mean, I think coastal living or just that whole idea, I mean, it, for each person that probably you have a thought when you think of the coast, I know immediately I think of, um, you know, just personally from where I'm from, like Cape Cod, I know the certain beach, the certain restaurant we go, you know, there's just certain things mm -hmm. and it's almost, it's timeless, it's iconic and that's what, to me, that's what I think of. But then there's places, um, I was just on vacation down in South Florida and, you know, getting to go over like Juno Beach and a totally different vibe, but one that is still, you know, very authentic and very different, but mm -hmm. fun. And, and I think, you know, people have that kind of feeling or if you're, you know, you live up in New Hampshire and you're on Lake Winnipesaukee or, you know, you're in the middle of, you know, somewhere in a lake in the Midwest somewhere or, you know, up in Michigan. I mean, there's different parts of kind of that whole aspect of being near the water. And I think where the coastal brand does such a good job of it's, it's just that whole idea of being, I think outside bringing, you know, nature, making that a part of the environment, you know, um, and, and I, how do those things kind of blend together? I, I feel also that like, um, light and airy and casual and, um, you know, linen and barefoot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's fun. Uh, fun. Yeah, it's yeah. just relaxed. It's not, it's not stuffy. It's, it is, it's, it's something that I think it can be, you can dress it up or dress it down. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you can have no shoes on. You could have flip flops on. You could have loafers on. Um, really, depending on however you want to have that. And I think the people that you're with. You know, typically, you know, it's maybe more of that family and friends environment. But you know, you're entertaining. You're, you're doing more of that. The fun things. Yeah. I think when you think about the coast, you think about all the fun things you go do. And it's not as, you know, maybe as serious as your typical Monday through Friday routine. So how do you? kind of get all those things to kind of blend themselves into that feeling that you're trying to evoke inside the home. So, so you were gaining inspiration from the editors, you were getting feedback back and forth. So they, um, maybe serve you with like, you know, tear sheets and spreads from the magazine and information. And then what do you give back to them? Like who's yeah. designing on your end? Yeah. So I think, um, on their end, yeah, we're getting tear sheets. They travel a lot. Their team does. So they get to go to a lot of awesome places, and, and there's inspiration just in that itself. Sure. So I think all of those aspects definitely play a role in supporting kind of what that vision is for, you know, where, where we think we can go. We kind of take all that. Uh, you know, we look at our own, you know, kind of portfolio of what we have. We look at the marketplace. Our, where can we find that niche that makes sense for us in terms of our 
uh, offering and um, and begin to design. And we work with, with one in-house designer. Uh, we work with a couple of outside design firms um, that are more or less part of our family. Um, and, you know, we begin to kind of look at mood boards and the pictures and all that imagery and then begin to kind of carve out, all right, what, what is, what are, what's this going to look like? And you start with kind of maybe a few foundational pieces um, that might be as simple as something like a dresser uh, or something more elaborate that's more of that jewelry accent piece. But, right. but both universes kind of need to be served. And then, um, you know, we kind of give those sketches and renderings back to the team or sit down with the team. And typically at that point in time, you're also looking at things like finishes, um, you know, hardware, um, you know, certainly the, um, you know, the, the color or texture of the hardware, um, you know, what material is it going to be made of? How do all those things kind of begin to take shape? And then from there, it kind of, you know, ideally, if, if you've all been communicating, it should go pretty seamlessly from there. And, and usually the hard part is, is kind of, um, you know, carving, editing. yeah, editing really the assortment as to all right, what, what's reasonable. And, and we'll go through things like pre-market and, you know, market before we totally finalize those yeah. types of decisions. But in many cases, like with Getaway, as the plane goes by, yes, wait for that to happen. It's the sound of people getting away. That's right. <laughs> um, let's look that southwest out. So with Getaway, you have, you know, us almost kind of making a little bit of a bet where we're we're pretty much we know what we're doing, and and yes, we'll have feedback, but it's we feel pretty confident about where we're at. So, you know, that allows us to just kind of speed the timeline up from a go-to-market standpoint. So, you know, showcasing something in the spring, having it be available by you know late summer, um, allows us to just really, I think, speak with confidence as to, you know, when, when you get your hands on this stuff. How many pieces are in this collection? Uh, this is a big collection. There is somewhere between 75 and 80 uh, items. Um, mm -hmm. And a part of that is also uh, the upholstery side of what we're doing, which is also changing um, in the ability of now being able to offer special order upholstery. So this will be the first collection that we launch that has that capability as part of it. And special order means what? Yeah, so special order for us, we acquired uh, Southern Furniture last fall. Um, we've been going through just kind of um, really making it a part of Universal uh, these last couple of months. And uh, we'll officially uh, roll that out at High Point Market in the spring. And special order to us means, it means options. It, it means, you know, typically when you think of Universal, and, and we're still fairly new to the upholstery side of the business, um, it has been very much uh, what we call kind of this married cover to frame program. It's, you know, what you see is what you get. Right. Maybe sometimes you have an option A and a B, but that's really it. We don't do COM. And what we heard from, you know, partners in the design community was, you know, we can get everything except this. It's the one thing holding us back. And in many cases, they really liked a lot of the frames and uh, the styles, but, oh, they'd really prefer it if it could do, if it had this color on it or, you know. So for us, as we have begun going through that process, we will roll out um, special order upholstery in the spring where you'll have, uh, you know, around about 200 SKUs, 400 uh, fabric options. Um, you will be able to choose, you know, mix and match and really get it any way that you, you want. Um, you'll also have different options as it relates to, you know, um, the feet or nail head, uh, pillows, um, you know, tufting, uh, welting, those types of things. Um, all that'll be part of that that program. So it's not truly, it's not like custom custom, but it's it's now giving people options. Right. So. Is this your first made in America? 
it comprehensive is. offering? It is, yeah. It's the first thing because Universal, from its you know beginning, has always been an import company. Mm-hmm. So, and we looked at possibly being able to do a special order program from Asia, but the logistics of such were just too complicated. So, um, so for us, uh, it is. So it'll be made in Conover. With that, you know, there's a longer lead time. There's a different price point, obviously, but we, one that we think is competitive. Here we are again. I'm, you know, we're at. Uh, on Amelia Island. Yep. And you're shooting at four locations. That's a lot of coordination. It's a lot of staff um, here. And I was curious about shooting on location versus shooting in an augmented reality situation. I don't know that much about augmented reality, but what's how does Universal deal with We that? um Yeah, I think we approach... Um, photography a couple different ways. I think one, we're trying to, obviously, you know, you, you do have a budget uh, that we're, you know, we, we have to adhere to and just trying to maximize that budget. So in many cases, you know, depending on the project, we might shoot certain things in our showroom and we can make it work, you know, and really, you know, with the team that we have in place there and, and the quality of, of the showroom, we can, we can make that work. There's certain, I think, projects that you work on where you want it to be as authentic as possible. And part of that is just the environments that you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, one of the reasons we came here, um, you know, we're in this coastal living community. Um, you know, the architecture, some of those details, you know, the, the fact that you're on the water and you can kind of get glimpses of that. Um, there's just, I think, a, a layer of authenticity to the entire, you know, um, the entire offering of how we're executing it that I think hopefully can kind of come through in the, the finished product of, of the images that so we're So the taking. community that we're in here now, mm-hmm. these homes are branded coastal living? Yeah. In, in, in other words, it is a true, like, branded living environment in the sense that they you come in and you are now shopping within a coastal living community. Mm-hmm. Um, they work with a couple of builders that have been more or less kind of accredited by the magazine as being able to offer kind of that look and feel of, of what one would expect when they flip through the pages um, and kind of bring that to life. So um, it's not like every house is the same. I think each house offers you know a little bit different kind of look and feel. That's one of the things that appealed to us of being able to be in one spot and have you know, maybe right. a couple different looks all in one spot. Um, logistically, that makes things a little easier as opposed to having to go to four different places. Um, so we're all, you know, more or less concentrated. But yeah, you're kind of, you're getting that level of consistency, I think, in terms of the magazine, you know, more or less literally coming to life here. Right, right. And so doing, um, you know, something computerized generation of images just wouldn't feel as authentic. I think, yeah, and... You know, in those instances, what we've seen, I think there's certain environments that you can maybe do that and it can make sense. Mm-hmm. Like in our, you know, special order upholstery program, you know, it would be impossible to go shoot all of that stuff, you know, in real life. Um, you know, so we'll we'll leverage technology, you know, in that instance to be able to showcase a little bit of here's what we right. do, here's what we offer and, and allow you to see it. Um, but I think when you kind of get into something of, you know, these assets that we're acquiring this week are being used for, you know, print advertising, they're being used to support our dealer base, they're being used to support, you know, designers and consumers making buying decisions, um, they're being used for social media and video and all of the stuff that we come in to try to get in, you know, basically 10 days, it's a lot that will have a very long shelf life. So I think while the investment is significant, there's also, I mean, this is something that's going to be around for a while and we want to make sure that it's supported accordingly. And I think the, the being here in the environment and offers just a higher degree of, you know, quality, you know, for us, for, mm-hmm. our, for our standard, 
um, that kind of fits the needs of, of accomplishing all of those things that, you know, we need to go achieve in, uh, you know, a week to 10 days. So it, it feels very much like a designer who's just finished a beautiful project and from storyboard to all those behind the scenes, social media, you know, just to create a bank of images that yeah. will last a long time. Yeah. And we, I mean, we try to take that same approach no matter where we're shooting. Um, but I think when you go on location, there's also other things that you can go get just from the environment that you're in that right. can really help support that story. Mm -hmm. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to tell that story with the collection, um, across all those mediums. And, um, you know, there's just different things, whether it be from the views or, you know, the vegetation, the plant life, the food you might eat, a place you might go get a drink. I yes. Mean, all those things can kind of add up into, oh, that feels real, you know, and that's what we're trying to do. Right. I want to create that, that vibe. Right. One thing I wanted to just ask you in terms of um, branding partners and aligning. So coastal living um, versus a person like a Miranda Carr, Nina yeah. Megan. Um, is it different working with a, an individual and a and a entity? I mean, it, it's a it's a little different. It's not really that different. Um, I think it kind of depends on again finding the right partnerships, whether that be an entity that has a lot of legs. I mean, coastal living isn't obviously it's it, there's not there's not one thing that makes up coastal living. It is this all encompassing lifestyle thing. As we mentioned, you think about coastal living, quote unquote, and it could mean a lot of different things right. to a lot of people. The individual is probably going to mean more specific things, but with it, uh, the way we approach it is, do they bring kind of a different perspective and a layer of, um, you know, a lifestyle or a layer of authenticity into that lifestyle where it's like, I really want a piece of that in my own home. How does that make sense? And, and with it, you know, in, in Nina, uh, Nina's case, you know, she had a totally different look that was very different than anything we had, that that perspective was something that we felt we were missing. And she was the expert on that, you know, in Miranda Kerr's case, it's a, you know, she's this, you know, fashion icon that's global. Um, she has this tremendous audience, um, you know, and given where she is in, you know, her career, um, you know, she's a mom, she has three children. Um, she has this, you know, she just has an eye for detail mm -hmm. that was, um, you know, really, parent when we first met with her in the sense that, you know, you're getting all these ideas of, she's also kind of a, she's a homebody and loves to be at home, that whole sanctuary of being at home for somebody that has spent so much time traveling. And she had this different perspective on what home means to her and all right, how does that look in furniture? How does that all kind of piece together? And with Coastal Living, it's just that it's this entity that can mean a lot of different things. And how do you go achieve maybe the, again, kind of touching on maybe different segments of, of what coastal can mean to somebody. So I think it's it's different, but there's also a lot of similarities in terms of how they are cross-referenced. And each partner um, that you work with, whether it be an individual or an entity, they, you know, you, the marketing efforts are, are shared. I mean, everybody is expected to, yeah. you know, put it out there on their channels and show up maybe at some retailers or events? Yeah, it kind of depends. I mean, I think, um, you know, for us, um, depending on the partnership mm -hmm. and depending on what the project is, you know, we're trying to make sure that it's a win-win for both of us. So I think it's, it's putting together a true communication plan up ahead of, all right, here's the initial rollout. Here's the initial launch. Here's where it rolls out to the consumer audience. How do we tap into audiences that these respective partners may have built into their own, you know, networks. Yes. 
how do we make that kind of come to life in a way that can really be beneficial to both parties in terms of extending the conversation and or like in Miranda Kerr's case, you know, she's got over 25 million people following mm-hmm. her across social networks. That's a lot of people. Right. Um, <laughs> it's just a f- tiny fraction of those people are, yeah. you know, love her and are interested in buying some furniture. Right. They may be paying attention. And I think for us, it's like, okay, that's a lot of people. And for her, based on her, you know, her age and, you know, her demographic, it's really probably, um, you know, it's a person that's just beginning to probably begin to look at buying a few quote unquote real pieces mm-hmm. of furniture for their home. So, you know, her level of, hey, you know, kind of that seal of approval of I've, I've been a part of this, and she has in, in her case, you know, through the entire process, and being able to share that story as we went about executing it, it really makes it very, very real. And I think people, they like that. They want, a, they want a piece of that. And I think for the retail audience, it's like, well, you know, she's like the perfect, you know, candidate in terms of somebody who you'd want walking into your store to buy, a 37-year-old or 36 year old about to be 37 I think um, you know mother of three mm-hmm. who you know is looking to take care of you know making an investment in her home right who wouldn't want that type right. of person walking into their store so whether she's buying um, on her own and feels confident about her decorating or she's hiring a designer to right. help her exactly speaking of designers <laughs> perfect segue yes, perfect segue um, so in 2015 when I was working in technology, I saw my first issue of Designers Today magazine. And in that magazine, Universal, I think, got the cover and you had announced your To the Trade program in 2015. That was your first major like embrace of the designer. Yeah. I want to find out from you um, what's, you know, the evolution of your trade program. Yeah. yeah. So we... We've, you know, the trade program also coincided with the showroom's move to downtown High Point. Um, it was an audience that Universal had never really been exposed to, had never really reached out to, and we felt like first and foremost, to to talk to them, you need to be where they're shopping, and that was downtown. So that, that kind of went into the whole mm-hmm. renovation of the showroom that is now in downtown High Point, 115,000 square feet. You had a lot of elements that have been incorporated into the experience for specifically for designers from the Learning Center to the Designer's Lounge. And then when we first launched in High Point, you had um, the To the Trade program, which was a program and a collection. And at that time, there was about 100, 115 SKUs that were um, only available to the design community. And designers really, they really liked hearing that and they came in and, and I'd say the aesthetic was almost a little bit of a uh, it was a, a mix of a lot of different looks. It wasn't specific to anything. And um, they, they came in, they saw it. Some pieces resonated, some pieces did not. But the whole other side of our building and all the collections that we've been doing, they had never really seen before. And they started walking through and seeing it. And what we began to see over a year or two was they were gravitating more towards what we were doing everywhere else because it was probably a little bit more... Um, consistent with kind of our, um, you know, design or look, if you will, when you think about Universal, I think they, it felt more like Universal. Mm-hmm. And the two, the trade items felt a little different. And we got this feedback that was just proof in the numbers that they weren't, they liked the idea of this, but they were not buying it. It was almost too limiting, I think, in, in certain instances. So um, a couple of years ago, we, we 
closed out um, and stepped away from the exclusive product. Um, mm -hmm. And the design community did not react in a way, you know, they like, oh, I miss it. I miss no, it. No, I think I think they kind of understood. Well, if no one's buying it, you really can't continue to support it. And you have in our line, you know, 1,700, 1,800 right. SKUs um, that could fit into a project. There are so many designers that I know in the last couple of years didn't first come to Universal. Right, right. And then it's like, oh, no, you've got to go see their modern. You've got to go see, yeah. you know, this collection and that. And they're like, oh, my gosh. And it was a revelation for them because they had a, something in their head. Yeah, I, absolutely. I think, you know, the, the, I think the thought was Universal changed, you know, greatly in the last, you know, 10 years. So what they had probably thought of, of Universal quality or, you know, just the different looks that you get from us. I think that opinion changed significantly when they actually came in and started seeing the finishes, seeing the product scale uh all those you know the materials that are being used um it really did it really changed yeah. i think their perception of it and that's i think another reason why they felt very comfortable with oh i can buy anything in here right. you know depending on my need but um they're just um as far as what you offer them there's not this exclusivity or is there still some it's there's not no, no there's no exclusivity um and what we do offer is the ability to, you know, you can, they can, they can buy from us online. So they have the ability to log in and use a credit card and, you know, shop, shop with us. At one in the morning, right. At one in the morning mm -hmm. or through their phone, you know, if yes. they're on the go. Um, everything ships very quickly. So we're in stock about 95% of the time. Um, you know, we're currently in the process of transitioning the product line from, from a manufacturing standpoint, being manufactured in China, now being manufactured in Vietnam. Um, so... You know that's a that's a challenge as you as you transition your way from you know one facility to another, but we're still vertical, so we own that process, we control that process. Um, so I think we're well positioned to you know kind of execute through that. The fact that they can shop us online, get it quick, it's a landed uh, price. So what when they're shopping online and they're seeing their price, it includes freight. You know, so free shipping basically is is part of that. So they can get all that. It's a price they can trust. Um, and I think we have different things in the marketplace that hopefully, you know, I think are put in place to protect those that are partnering with us in one aspect or another. So, and I think we just, we want to be, you know, super easy to do business with. I think that's really our goal. So from the ability to call into a dedicated designer line and speak to a real live person, uh, to be able to email that person if you can't get a hold of your sales rep. Um, what we're finding out is that many designers almost prefer to be kind of, you know, self-sufficient in their shopping habits, you know, that are really, they don't want to have to be, back and forth and calling an individual. They just want to shop like you and I shop right. or something. Um, and um, I think having some of these um, you know, pieces in play allow them to do that and feel confident that if I do need to speak to somebody, I can get somebody. I, I know that you're also podcasting, which yes, I'd love yes. to see You know, who's <laughs> who are the newer podcasts, podcasters out there. Um, what's yours about? What we wanted to do was we, we send out a, a lot of email communication. We use social media, um, particularly for our internal associates and our sales reps uh, who are on the road. I mean, if you're driving, we hope they're not looking at their phone. Right. Um, but we, we try to over-communicate in terms of things that are happening. What we felt like the podcast could supplement is a way of maybe kind of getting a different perspective on some of the things that we send you or some of the projects or people that we work with that you may not be aware mm -hmm. of. And how does that kind of then kind of come to life in terms of the world of Universal? So we've done 10 episodes so far. 
Uh, we're trying to do, you know, two a month. Um, mm-hmm. I must say it's, it's a lot more involved than I first thought. Totally. <laughs> so um, I, I didn't want to get too far out ahead, but it's almost like planning a magazine in terms of, all right, I'm, I want to tell this story and I want to try to hit these months. Um, and, you know, you don't want to make them too long. You don't want to make them too short. You want to feel like they have a beginning, middle and end so that people hopefully walk away. Oh, I, I learned one thing right. about maybe something that Universal is working on that is just different. Um, and for us, it was a way to, you know, quite honestly, just kind of stand out. Mm-hmm. Um, we had um, an opportunity with, with Miranda Kerr where we were trying to figure out ways to execute something like this. And we decided, you know what, let's just do it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's one of those things that I think we can kind of add into our arsenal about, you know, hopefully people kind of look at it and go, oh, that's, that's smart. And they're thinking a little differently in terms of how they communicate. I mean, I listen to podcasts all the time for different things that I'm interested in. I find it a really easy way to, you know, if you don't have time to read, um, like on a plane or what have you, you can multitask and listen to something and maybe be doing something else. But there's certain ones that I just have become like totally hooked on for things that I'm really passionate about. And, um, you, you start to kind of listen and it is, it hopefully kind of leads to some thought provoking, uh, ideas of, oh, I didn't know that, or I'm going to do some more, you know, research gathering on something or, you know, you, you just hear somebody that inspires you. Yeah, you um, find a commonality, yeah, you know, like, yeah. oh my gosh, they're from Philadelphia too, or, right. you know, whatever exactly. it is. Yeah, so I think it's those things that you, you begin to, and it does, it, I think it opens up conversations. I've heard from a couple last market where, hey, you know, we, we listened to it, it was good. I'm like, oh, thanks, you know. What have you got up your sleeve for this market that yeah. designers would be interested in? So we have a number, we have a full slate of educational programs in the Learning Center, um, that range from Miranda Kerr, who will be present uh, this market. She had a baby um, last market, so she wasn't able to able to come, but she'll be she'll be here um, in the spring. So we have her speaking. We have um, a couple of designers on some panels and what have you um, that kind of range from things that might deal maybe more on the business fiscal side of things to the social media and in looking on you know ways to. Kind of increase your your reach if you will and then in the designers lounge itself um we have um the beauty bar um sign up now sign before. up now <laughs> yep you get your, your hair and nails uh touched up um i think hair and nails and makeup oh, maybe not nails. i've never taken advantage I of that i'm i every market i say i'm gonna do it and then you know what we did busy. so we had a sign up form for specific time slots yes as you can imagine keeping a time slot at market became quite challenging mm-hmm. so i think what we do now is we have blocks and you can kind of come in you might have to wait a little bit but you know basically get one of like these any things. salon yes and, and and ideally it's not every single thing it's like hey pick pick from the menu mm-hmm. pick one and then you know have that executed but that that will be in there um, we're going to be doing some things in there with more and Giles that tie into the new leather offering that we have. Um, we have a couple little, um, meet and greet opportunities. Uh, one with, uh, Aaron V from style row will be in there talking a little bit about what they're doing there. Um, working on some things with business at home and, um, as well as, um, uh, Benjamin Moore. Mm-hmm. So doing some things in there that hopefully will stand out in addition to, uh, Miranda's, uh, Miranda Kerr's, uh, organic skincare line, uh, Cora Organics, uh, will have a little pop-up shop in there for people to purchase um, from them. It'll ship right to your house so you don't have to carry anything around, but there's some samples and stuff that you can kind of try. And um, um, I'm a huge fan of the turmeric uh, face mask in the morning. Uh-huh. So, yeah, big fan. So I yeah. highly recommend it. <laughs> okay. I have an oil of hers that I carry around in my little travel bag. Yeah. I, I love it. Um, that's exciting. We're going to get back to the photo shoot um, and... 
thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to SED. I sincerely hope you got something of value from the podcast that feeds your brain and fills your heart. If you like the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you're in the interior design trade and related industries and would like to sign up for a complimentary subscription to the printed or digital magazine, visit designerstoday.com right now and sign up. Until next time.